The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would open your Bibles, we're going to be uh, in Acts chapter 4 today, picking up where we left off last week. And just to give you a little context before I introduce this text, you remember uh, what the events were that took place uh, the past, really, chapter and a half. You know, chapter 3, you saw Peter and John going to the temple, and they noticed the man who was lame uh, begging at, at the gate of the temple, and they uh, actually were used by the Lord to heal him. And so he was walking and leaping and praising God, and uh, everyone was marveling at the fact that here's this man more than 40 years old who had never walked, and now he's jumping around praising the Lord. And so, of course, Peter and John get in trouble. So then after Peter preaches the gospel in chapter 3, then the beginning of chapter 4, as we saw last week, they get in trouble, they get arrested, <clears throat> they have to give a defense. Oddly enough, uh, they're in trouble because they did something good for someone. And so isn't that funny how that works? Uh, so they gave a successful defense. They were very bold and confident, and that kind of struck uh, the, the religious leaders of the day, and they noticed, how are these people so confident? Uh, they're just uneducated, untrained, common men. The word, remember last week, the, word, the Greek word from last week, idiots. And that's literally what it means. And so that's how they were seen by the culture, by the leadership. They were seen as just common idiots and yet they were bold and confident in their grasp of the gospel. And that's what made the difference. And so they let them go and told them, well, you can't say anything else about Jesus. And of course they said, well, we can't keep quiet about what we've seen and heard. And that's how we left off last Sunday in verse 22. So here's how we need to think about the result of what we're going to see today, just from verse 23 down to verse 31. Think about it in these terms. Maybe this will help you personalize a little bit uh, the, the message we're going to hear. Have you ever been in trouble? I mean, just think about you individually, personally in your life. Have you ever been in trouble? Have you ever been in a really bad situation and you just didn't know what to do? Where do you turn when things get difficult? when they get really, really difficult. Who do you want to talk to when you're in trouble? Do you have uh, a go-to person that you would call if you really needed help? Now, I'm not talking about, well, uh, can you help me move? That's not what I'm talking about. I I'm talking about uh, emergency you're in, in, in maybe even in physical danger, but you're, you're, you're just at the end of your rope. You have no idea what you're going to do, how you're going to handle a situation, and you have a person in mind right now. That's who I would call. Because I know if I, if I got in touch with them, no matter what the situation, no matter how bad it was, I know I could call them. If I talk to them it'd be okay. You got somebody in mind? Got a situation in mind maybe? Maybe you've just brought up a bunch of memories about uh, things that have happened in your life. Well, let me just tell you about how you answer that question. Who's your go-to person if you're in trouble? 
Who do you call when you need help? I mean, if you really, really need help. The answers to those questions can help us learn about somebody's character and about their personality. And it would also reveal something about that person's priorities or values. And maybe you hadn't thought about it in that way, but knowing the answer to that question, who's your go-to person or persons when you're in trouble? What or maybe who is most important in your life? So we read this text here and pick up the end of this story. We've already seen a lot of what's happened to the apostles here, specifically Peter and John. But after they got released from jail, after healing a man who'd been crippled since birth, they were very intentional about their next steps. They went directly back to their spiritual family and they immediately joined together in prayer. So we can't overstate the importance of that particular move. They got released and and the first thing they did, they didn't stop by the service station and get a polar pop. They didn't go and get something to eat. They didn't go home even. They went straight to their spiritual family, their church. And when they got to their church, the first thing they all did together was pray. That's not common. That's very uncommon. But that's what they did. And so those actions demonstrate for us some very distinct priorities. What did the apostles value the most? They valued their relationship with the Lord Jesus and their fellowship with the body of Christ. And so maybe the, I don't know, maybe the church today should take a look a little closer at this fledgling church here that's just starting out in the first century. Maybe we can get back to some ideals that the first century church held so, so highly. The value of a relationship with Jesus and the value of, of the fellowship of the local church. Let's read together. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, just down to verse 31. Uh, and we'll see what it is God has to tell us today. Uh, Acts 4.23. Here's what the Bible says. When they had been released, they went to their own and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is You who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Father, in Jesus' name I pray that this Word, this truth of Yours would be crystal clear to us today. Lord, I pray that as I explain and teach on this text, I pray that You'll guard my words, that I'll only say what's helpful and edifying and that that if there's anything I've got planned to say that's, that's not what you want me to say, I pray that you'll, you'll just keep me from, from saying it. Everything I say, Lord, I want it to honor you. I want it to be helpful to those here that are gathered. Most of all, Lord, I want Jesus Christ to be glorified. So help me, help us to that end, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This text uh, is pretty pretty straightforward. It's kind of finishing the story from what we've heard the last two weeks and we see how things have developed and how the the story's taken shape. And then now we see uh, the the climax and back down and now the the apostles, they're they're released from their uh, arrest and they're coming back to tell everybody what happened. So real quickly and, and real specifically, there's just two things really in this text And I'll just tell you what they are up front, and then we'll kind of flesh them out. The first one is, tell it to Jesus. There's a hymn, tell it to Jesus. That's wise counsel. If you've got issues in your life, you have challenges, you have worries, anxiety, whatever it is, tell it to Jesus. He, He asked us to do that. He's waiting for us to do that. There's no need or challenge or hurdle in our lives that Jesus can't deal with. He's able meet all our needs. And and the Bible says He will meet all our needs according to His will, according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will meet our needs. Tell it to Jesus. And the second one we're going to see at the very end is listen to Jesus. It's a two-way street of communication. Tell it to Jesus and listen to Jesus. First of all, in the the bulk of this uh, paragraph today, from verse 23 all the way really down to verse 30, Tell it to Jesus. And here's why I say it that way. Upon release, Peter and John, the apostles, they they went straight to be with the church. Right? That that was their spiritual family. That's where they wanted to be. So they went to the church, to their own, the Bible says, in verse 23. They went to their own. But what did they do when they got there? Look at verse 23. They reported everything that was said. Everything that that was said to them by the authorities. That's important because that helps the whole church understand exactly what we're dealing with. What's our opposition look like and why are they so upset? All we did, we were going to the temple and a man was laying there lame since birth and Jesus told us to heal him and he did it. And now we're in trouble. You wouldn't think, remember as we, as we fleshed that out the last two weeks, you remember the main uh, the main point, the reason why they were upset, it was not because the man had been healed, it's because they were uh, worried about their own authority. They didn't, they didn't want to lose their position. They didn't really care that the man had been healed. They wanted to know in whose name did you do that, by whose authority did you do that. Remember, that's how, what chapters 3 and 4, the first part of 4, that's what that told us. And so they were very vocal and said it was Jesus 
You know, the one who you crucified, the one God raised from the dead. That's the name, the authority that made that happen. I. Howard Marshall said that the effect of the persecution was to bind the members of the church together so there was a common desire to pray. That's the first thing they did. I mean, if you think about, try to put yourself in that position. You, you were arrested uh, on uh, trumped-up charges. They weren't even legitimate. And you had to give a defense to these authorities. You did. They let you go. And all that ordeal just happened to you. And what's the first, first thing you're going to do when you leave? I'll just be honest. I wasn't thinking about going to church when I got out, okay? If, if this was me, I, I don't think that was on the top of my list. And that, to, to my shame, I, I wouldn't be thinking, well, I need to go gather with my church. So, so let me just pause for a minute here in the, in the development of this argument. And maybe I should ask myself a question. Why would that not have been my first thought? If, if I was in danger or, or, or even arrested because of something spiritual and then I was released, why would I not want to gather with my church family first thing? What does that say about me, who, who I am, what, what I uh, treasure? How does that um, affect who I am in, in the eyes of everyone else. Does that make me less of a, of a follower of Christ? Does that damage my spiritual reputation in any way? I, I don't know. I hadn't really thought through that. But the, the point is, if I'm being honest, I, I can't say with complete uh, honesty that that would have been the first thing on my mind. I'm thinking about I'm probably going home, you know, but I don't know that I'd be thinking. I need to go. I need to be with my, my spiritual family. I need to be with my church. That's the first thing they did. And the first thing they did once they got together and the whole church heard the report, they prayed. They lifted up their voices, the Bible says, in one accord. It doesn't mean that they were all praying out loud in unison. It means more, more than likely from the context, it means that, that someone uh, on behalf of the group prayed to God, but, but the, the hearts and minds and spirits were, were unified. It was, the, it was the heart of everyone there to pray this prayer that was prayed. So let's take a look. The church's response to the information was to pray. Let's, let's take a look at what they said in the prayer. Not just that they prayed, but what did they say? What did they say to God? Verse 24 says, They lifted their voices to God with one accord. Here's what they said. First thing they did was they quoted... Scripture. They prayed God's words to him. They quoted specifically, believe it or not, an excerpt from the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 11. Look what they said, the first thing. Lord, it's you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, in the context of the Scriptures, if you were to turn back to... Don't, don't turn there. I'll just uh, read that part for, you, for us. Exodus 20... Verse 11, if you remember, uh, in the midst of what, what's being said, what Moses recorded for us, Exodus 20, verse 11, this is in the context of 
the fourth commandment about remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. And it says, Six days you'll labor, do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord. And then it says, verse 11, for, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So in that context, they're praying that acknowledgement. It's a confession. It's God is our creator. He's almighty. He made, uh, look at verse 24, He made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But they don't stop there. They confess that God is creator. Then they glorified God for His redemption plan. Because then He says in verse 25, Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said... Now they're quoting Psalm 2, the first few verses of Psalm 2, and they say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 2, it says, against His anointed. The, the, basically, everybody was against Jesus. Now, what evidence do we have to see that that really happened? Read the end of any of the four Gospels. What happened to Jesus? He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was falsely accused went through a, a trumped-up trial in the middle of the night. He was beaten beyond recognition. Then he was crucified and killed on a cross. Then he was buried. And then he rose again. And all that happened because of the, the sin and wickedness in our hearts. But there's another little detail here that we're reminded of by the prayer of these. You see the, the list of the people that were gathered against Jesus in Jerusalem. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel. Now that's an interesting thing right there, isn't it? I thought Israel was God's people, right? Well, here they're listed as those who are gathered against Jesus. Once again, I, Howard Marshall, offers a little clarity here. He says, the inclusion of Israel among the foes of the Messiah marks the beginning of the Christian understanding that insofar as the people of Israel reject the Messiah, they cease to be the Lord's people and can be ranked with unbelieving Gentiles. See, let's get this concept clear. If you're the chosen people of God, but you reject His blessing of redemption through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, you forfeit your position as being the chosen people of God. Does that make sense? It's like, uh, well, in, in human terms, if whomever, the homecoming queen, chooses a guy or the captain of the football team chooses this girl and wants to go out, whichever, but then, so they're chosen, but then they say, oh, no, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in you. Well, you've just forfeited whatever might have been. You just, you just threw that out. Just because you were chosen doesn't mean anything's automatic. Does that make sense? And that's a rough, a rough analogy in human terms. But Israel was supposed to be God's people, but they rejected God's Messiah. 
And so what does the Bible tell us about this whole situation? This is a really, um, I'll just be honest with you. Verse 28 in this text, man, this is a tough verse. It's a tough verse. Read, read along with me or follow along with me. As, just look back at that verse. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So part of that doesn't rub me right because I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? It was these people, you know, these wicked, wicked Romans and the, the chief priests and the Pharisees, all these people that had, had evil in their heart and they didn't want to forfeit their position. And Yeah, well, guess what? Do you think any of that shocked God off the throne? Do you think He's up in heaven? Oh, man, I didn't see that coming. What, what am I going to do now? No. That's not the God we serve. The God we serve is sovereign over all creation. If there's an unknown to God, then He's not really God. Does that make sense? He's not, he's not almighty. If there's something He doesn't know and something that surprises Him, maybe He's not as powerful as we thought. Well, that's not the case. The point of it is, God. what, what, what does the Bible tell us? Remember uh, the story of Joseph? His brothers persecuted him. They were jealous. They threw him down the, the well, left him for dead. Then they pulled him back out, sold him into slavery. And he went to uh, be in Egypt. He rose to... High, God was with him. He was second in command under Pharaoh. And remember they had the years of plenty and then the years of famine. And Joseph devised the plan to save everyone by storing up all the food and having enough to last in the bad times. And then Joseph's brothers come. And all you remember that story? And they all they finally have that reunion. And their brothers are petrified because, oh no, we did all this bad. And now Joseph's in charge, just like he said he was going to be. And now what are we going to do? He's probably going to have us all killed. And you remember what he said? You remember what he said to his brothers? What you meant for evil, God meant it for good and saved all these nations. Don't miss the fact that, listen, every single one of us at some time or another will have this illusion going on in our minds. I'm in charge of me and can't nobody tell me what to do. I'm the boss of me. Well, guess what? If that, and listen very carefully to my words, if that is ultimately true, then you're God. If no one, not even God, has authority in your life, then you are your own God of your own creation. And you know what that is? According to Scripture, that's idolatry. Because someone, something other than God Almighty has become God and sits on the throne in our lives. That, that's that's a, a major sin against a holy God. So we have to understand all in, in reference to this text and in reference to the Christian life in general, who God is, who we are in light of that, we have been given a great blessing, a great gift of a measure, uh, not unlimited, but a measure of human free will where we get to decide some things, what we do and how we're going to live. And we have decisions we have to make every day. Am I going to follow Jesus today? Or am I going to reject Him? Uh, and, and practically speaking, am I going to follow Jesus 
Am I going to honor Jesus today or am I going to reject what he's called me to do? And so we have, we have lots of choices we have to make in life. And God being gracious like he is, go ahead. He, he let, and, and let me just share a, a, a bit of wisdom that I've learned and I'm still trying to learn. You see it more and more in the news every day. We are free to make our own decisions. But we are not free to choose the consequences of those decisions. Y'all tracking with that? I can choose, I, I can choose to come down here and go, go rob a store. I'm free to do that if I want. I'm not free then to uh, be uh, released from all that will happen to me if I do that. See, I, I, every, every action has consequences, right? Is this making sense? I'm, this, is a, this is such a, uh, a deep uh, context here in the Scripture, how we can understand, well, how, how is it that God is in control, sovereign over all creation, yet we have free will and we make decisions and we choose to do things. These people thought they were, you know, they were doing what they wanted to do in reference to Jesus. They did what they decided to do. So, did God, did God do that? No. They did it. God allowed it. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference here between God, all right, I know you don't want to be mean to Jesus, but I'm going to make you be mean to Jesus. That's not, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. God saw the evil in man's heart, and he said, my Messiah is going to overcome that. Jesus is going to overcome what's in their hearts to do. Because God has a plan. If you read the Bible from beginning to end, you start to understand God has God knows things that we just don't know. He is all-knowing. And, and that makes me uncomfortable. When, when I have to answer a question I don't know, it makes me uncomfortable. But I have to rest in the, the truth that, that God knows. God knows, even when I don't. And so when we get to this point, I, I tell you, this, this week, this, this whole passage has just kind of been a struggle for me because when I get to that verse, it makes me uncomfortable. But when it all comes down to the final analysis, I understand God really is in control and even though we are free to do things, we're not free to be God. Does that make sense? Part of this, I just feel like I'm not making good sense, maybe to, to myself. And maybe that's because it's just such a, a challenging text to try to, to get through. But despite their wickedness, see, all of this fit into the sovereign plan of God. The unspoken thought here is quite clearly, it's, it's futile, even in the Old Testament, it's futile for men to scheme against a God who not only created the whole universe, but also foresaw their scheming. When you look at Psalm 2, that was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. And you see these words, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. They were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. It's, it, it blows your mind. How can God be that almighty, that big, and know that much? That's, he's God. I don't, I don't have the answers for you. I don't have all the answers to say, this is why, this is how. He's God. 
I just I go back to Isaiah 55. His, his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I, I don't understand it all. I just know He's God. So they, they confess God as Creator. They glorify God as Redeemer and have the plan of redemption. They also pray a, a prayer of petition because they know God is their protector and their sustainer. So when you get to verse um, 29... Look how they, all this that they've said up to this point, how they've prayed, they get to verse uh, 29 and they say, Now, Lord, take note of their threats. They're praying, God, hear what they're saying to us. They've threatened us. They've told us that if we speak any more about Jesus, we're going to be killed. They've, they've warned us. We've told them we, we can't stop. But they said, he says, take note of their threats and, and look at their prayer. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. You know, that's exactly what they said when they were before the, the chief priests and the, the elders and the, the rulers. Look back at Acts 4.13. The religious leaders, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, Realized they were uneducated, untrained men, but they began to recognize they had been with Jesus. That's where their strength came from. That's where their confidence came from. They had been with Jesus. So now they're praying again, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant your bondservants to speak your word with all confidence. And how is that confidence going to be fleshed out What's it going to look like? In verse 30, while you extend your hand to heal. Isn't that what they did? That gave credibility and strength to their witness because, hey, this man's been lame since birth. He's over 40 years old. And now he's walking around jumping and praising God. There's something to this gospel. There's something to this Jesus. That's why they have such confidence in Him. So you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. It all goes back to the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. That's how the miracles happen. That's how the signs and wonders happen. That's how people get healed. It's by the name of Jesus. There, there's no other way for those things to happen. Why do the apostles have confidence? Why do they speak the word with boldness? It's because of the name of Jesus. They've been with Jesus. It, it, can't, it can't be much more clear then the importance, the necessity for all of us, we've got to be with Jesus. We've got to spend time with Jesus. We've got to be devoted to Jesus. We need to belong to Jesus. It's, it's all about Him, His strength and His authority. 
F.F. Bruce said that the Sanhedrin might threaten, but the threats called not for intimidation and silence, but for increased boldness of speech. Isn't it interesting that the very thing that the enemy tries to bring against God's church to quiet them down is the thing that makes them speak louder? Their confidence comes because of the persecution, not in spite of it. The persecution causes the church... Listen, listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. The church is purified when it is persecuted. You want to weed out anybody who might be tempted to play church, to not be serious about walking with Jesus and serving Jesus in, in real life. You want to you kind of just weed that out a little bit? Let the church be persecuted. It's no coincidence that the underground church in places like China or India, it, it's not a coincidence that those places the church is thriving and growing by leaps and bounds. That's not a coincidence. You know why? Because the persecution, the threat against God's people is so much greater. So much um, more personal. You could, you could truly lose your life for standing up for Jesus in, in one of those places. You know what happened to me if I go down and stand underneath the, the sign in Wagner? in the middle of Wagner? You know what happened to me if I go down there and hold up my Bible? Maybe just stand out there and preach a little bit? You know what happened to me? Nothing. I might have a few people laugh at me. I might have a few people call me a name. But you, you know what I have a lot of? People probably say amen driving by. Do you honestly think we even have a clue what persecution looks like? And I say that not because I'm trying to say something negative about who we are, where we are, where God's placed us, but I say it because of this. We should be very cautious that we don't get so comfortable with where we are, where God has put us to serve, that we think this is the norm for God's church. It's not. Do, do we realize what, what kind of blessing we have? That I could walk down to the middle of the square in town and hold up a Bible for everyone to see and, and speak God's Word and not have any fear whatsoever? That is not normal. Just, just read Acts. <laughs> just read the Bible. It's, that's not normal. That's why they were together. That's why they prayed so earnestly. That's why they said, Lord, please take note of their threats and please grant to your bondservants that we can speak your word with confidence. They needed confidence because they were being persecuted. Please extend your hand to heal. Signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. T tell it to Jesus. That's their prayer. They spent that whole paragraph Praying. Last verse, verse 31. 
listen to Jesus. Upon completion of their prayer, God immediately gave them a confirmation of His presence. It's like, it's like He said, He didn't say it verbally, but it's almost like He did. I hear you. I got you covered. Look, look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. Can you, can you even imagine? I, I don't have a reference point. I don't have a comparison to even understand how that must have been. Can, can you imagine if we were gathered in here and we're praying so earnestly, so unified, so totally devoted to Christ that as we're praying, when we finish praying, the whole building shakes. Can, I, I can't even fathom that. That's what happened. The same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same Jesus, the building shook like an earthquake. I, just, I, can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. The assurance of divine favor and help came to them even as they prayed. The place shook like an earthquake. The Holy Spirit filled them all and sent them forth to proclaim the good news with renewed confidence. This means not only, you understand what happened on Pentecost? Acts chapter 2, it was 120 people gathered in a room, scared for their lives. The Holy Spirit came down in power and they began to speak the Word of God. Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved. We just read in the last chapter, the number of the men, just the men, came to be about 5,000. So, you see what just happened here? A fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to all of those thousands of people, not just the 120, thousands. You talk about an army of witnesses being unleashed in a city, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And how does verse 31 end? They began to speak the Word of God with boldness. You know what boldness means in this context? It means, go ahead, threaten me. Say whatever you want. Do what you got to do. I got a job to do, and I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it. Because the one who's given me my orders is so much far greater than you or your threats Oh, you're going to kill me? So what? So what? Jesus in the gospel is so much more important than that. That's, that's boldness. They've already been arrested. They've already been persecuted. They've already been threatened. And, and, and this is their response. I'm going to be more bold. I'm going to be more confident. I'm going to be stronger because of the name of Jesus. It has nothing to do with what someone else says or thinks. It has everything to do with who has saved me and who has planted His Spirit within me and what message He's given me to share. I've got, you've got, the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you. Is there anything on this planet that is a match for that? Is there anything on this planet or anyone 
who could come against the power of Almighty God and stop His church from testifying? The answer is supposed to be no. So maybe we should take a few cues from the first century church. Be cautious that we don't allow our comfort to overshadow our commission. Because it could happen. But for the glory of God, I pray it doesn't. I pray we have the boldness and confidence that Jesus promised to His church. And we take full advantage of it and preach the Word with boldness. That's what He's called us to do. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.